Hello, you're listening to Second City Sermons, a ministry of Second City Church in Midtown Harrisburg. This fall, we're in the short yet significant New Testament letter of 1 John. John was writing near the end of the first century to many Christians who were either giving up or being tempted to give up on some of the basics of Christian faith. He responds to this by calling them back to correct doctrine, obedient living, and lively devotion. At its heart, this book is calling us to find our life in the life of the beloved, Jesus. We'd love to meet you, and we hope you'll consider coming and joining us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the heart of Midtown Harrisburg. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope you enjoy this sermon. God bless. Lord in heaven, uh, thank you again for your word. Uh, we pray that we would hide it in our hearts, that we might, we might not sin against you. Uh, but more than that, that we might desire you and love you with all of our being. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, yesterday, as you all know, uh, Michigan beat Ohio State. 30 to 24. I do not really care about that game. I grew up in Washington State, and University of Washington was at odds with Michigan basically during the whole 90s. You know, they were battling out in the Rose Bowl, as you all know. And so I didn't really like Michigan. And now I live in Pennsylvania. I don't really like Ohio State. Um, But there were 110,615 people at that game yesterday. Beaver Stadium, as you all know in State College, is the second largest stadium in the country for sports, 106,572. Though I think at the whiteout, it had over 110,000, I think. I think I'd read that, yeah. Um, And if you are wondering, as I know you all are, Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge just comes in at number five at 102,321. Get this. The uh, largest Amazon fulfillment center, the largest Amazon warehouse in the United States is in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. It's 3.6 million square feet. Um, It has five stories of automated warehouse facilities, 80,000 square feet of offices. Um, The typical... Amazon Fulfillment Center is is 800,000 square feet. If you are wondering, as I know you now all are, there are 17 fulfillment centers in Pennsylvania alone. The most recent one is down towards York, not far from us at all. Uh, Just opened this year. It has 1.2 million square feet. 1.2 million square feet. Anybody want to take a quick guess at the square feet that are in a football field? Will, do you know? Uh, Well, the answer is 57,600. 57,600. And the newest Amazon fulfillment center is 1.2 million square feet. Okay, get this. Americans spent this this year $12.2 billion on Halloween. Okay? Unreal. In 2021, Americans spent $886 billion on Christmas. Last year, $5.6 billion was spent on Thanksgiving, which I think is why every year Thanksgiving seems to just not exist between Halloween and Christmas. It just doesn't break in the money. 
Um, a study done recently, get this, showed that people tapped or swiped or clicked on their phones only 10 times a day. That's not true. The stat is 2,617 times a day. That's the average person. That's the average. The top 10% interact in these same ways with their phone 5,427 times a day. That's how many times the top 10% of people touch their phones. And in case you're wondering, uh, per year, that means that the average person is touching their phone nearly a million times. Get this, um, Ligonier Ministries, a ministry some of you will be familiar with, uh, does an annual survey they call the State of Theology. Um, one of their statements that they ask every year, and it's just to agree or disagree question or statement is this. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Agree or disagree? 43% of respondents said, I agree with that. He's a great teacher, not God. So 57% disagreed. But of course, what you have to be asking now is, well, who are the respondents? People who said they were evangelical Christians. All right. So 43% of people that say they are evangelical Christians agree with the statement, Jesus is a great teacher, but he's not God. Uh, 1 John chapter 5. What in the world do statistics about stadiums, about phone usage, about the size of Amazon Fulfillment Center, and about the state of theology by Ligonier Ministries has to do? What does that have to do with 1 John chapter 5? Well, I think 1 John chapter 5, its main point is the same main point of the whole text of 1 John. Which is this. Do not be led away from the true God. Don't accept the substitutes. Don't buy in to any other God. Okay, John ends his book in a really odd way. I remember reading this, at least in college, and it's striking me as funny. And when I was reading it through, you know, these last number of months, I, every time I'm like, this is such a weird way to end a book. Look with me down at verse 21. This is what John says. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Paul, as you may know, has, has a little bit more, I don't know, ending, right? Like a period more. That's, that's John's period. For instance, Galatians ends like this. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We're all like, yeah, Amen. Keep yourself from idols, period. Imagine this, okay? You've come over to my house. We've had dinner together. We've been talking over a meal. Maybe we played a game afterwards, and we walk you to our front door, and we might give you a hug, or we at least wish you well. We say, hey, thank you for coming over for dinner. And then we end by saying, keep yourself from idols. Or maybe you, you, know, you finished up a baseball game, right? The last pitch was thrown. The last out happened. And the baseball team kind of lines up. You know, they're doing their high fives. You know, one team's walking this way. Another team's walking that way. And you're going, good game, good game, good game. But between each good game, you're like, good game, keep yourself from idols. Good game, keep yourself from idols. Good game, keep yourself from idols. Like, what? <laughs> what is this? 
Um, but what a word that we need to hear. What a word to, to leave us with. Keep yourself from idols. Don't be led astray from the true God. Don't buy into any of it. There's one true God. There aren't no, any substitutes. Don't buy the God substitutes. Okay. And he, of course, like John does, and I, I mentioned this early on in 1 John, John weaves his themes, right? You know, like sometimes Paul's like A, B, C, D, E, and you're just like, bang, 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 bang. I can follow this quickly. And John goes A to D to A to C and maybe some B, and he just weaves it in. He does that here a little bit too. And he uses, there's two words I think that are kind of key here that he's used throughout, but I want to just mention this as the idea of getting at the, the thought of God's substitutes. And that's this, that there's a substitute that we can have uh, for love and a substitute that we believe in that gives us life, okay? So first, a substitute of love. If you look down, verse, verse one and two, I'll just read those again quickly. It says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves whoever's been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God, that when we love God and obey his commandments. Um, if you were here last week, or if you know John really well, you know that the end of 1 John chapter 4, the second half of 1 John chapter 4, talks about love a lot. Um, actually, in those 15 verses, it mentions love. 27 times. And he keeps going with this idea. But uh, here's what we saw last week, right? That it said that love is the very nature of God. God is love, it said. And God actually, actually expresses love through the history of God, how he takes on flesh and dwells among us and gives himself in the cross as the propitiation for our sins. And also God's love still abides with us. He still is showing us his love even now, presently. Um, and so love is, is being woven throughout this. But of course, what First John was saying there was, or sorry, what John was saying there at the end, second half of First John chapter four was each part of this character of God demands that you love one another, right? The call was to understand our love for one another. Um, but here and there, he also is questioning what we are giving our loves to. We love the Lord and therefore do we love one another? Who are you loving? What are you loving? I think he's extending this discourse on love because he's wanting to get at this main thing. The main point of this whole book. Don't buy into the substitutes. Don't give yourself to other loves. Don't buy into the great temptation to love other gods. Don't think that you'll find greater fulfillment or an ease of life or a greater joy in anything else. I want you to think about this um, in light of how large Amazon fulfillment centers are and stadiums are. In medieval times, you think uh, pre-industrial revolution, pre-Renaissance even, the folk point of a town was its largest church. There were smaller churches, but its largest church was typically right at the center. And the highest point, the point that could orient you to where you are in life was typically the spire or the highest point of that building. It said something about where their life was, where they found their love and what oriented them and their desires. I want you to simply think, 
that we just built the 17th Amazon Fulfillment Center in this state alone, just down 83, and it is 1.2 million square feet. What does that say about our loves? Where we find fulfillment and an orientation towards our life. We touch our phones. We do, the average person, right? Probably me. 2,617 times a day. And a 30-second commercial at last year's Super Bowl cost $7 million. And those companies are willing to buy it because they know that you're probably going to watch it. And in watching it and giving it your attention, it's going to orient your life. And you're going to start to think, I love that. That will give me fulfillment. That will give me joy. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And immediately afterwards, after talking about what we are looking at consistently, he says this, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And what's he talking about? He says, you cannot serve God and money. He ties the idea of what you are looking at to how you will spend to what you will love. And of course, immediately before both of those passages, he tells us this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's part of the reason, actually, one of the greatest things you can start to do is to give literally your money away. Why do we spend all of our time watching and looking and spending and buying? Why? Because of what Jesus says right there. We're looking for God. We're trying to buy the things that God alone can give. We're looking for love. We're looking for the likes we desire, the, the dopamine hit of a like on Instagram, or the laughing face that you can put on a Facebook post. Those new jeans, that new experience, that new restaurant. Because we desire fulfillment, a life, joy, satisfaction. And what we are longing for is love. And what we are doing is we are misplacing that love all the time. We're putting God's substitutes in a place of what God alone can do. And what John is saying is there are no other substitutes. Don't buy it. Keep yourselves from idols. They're fake. Now, here's an interesting thing, of course, because he gets at this uh, in this passage, right? For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Um, it may be true, actually, I think it often is true that when you come to God, uh, you think this feels burdensome. 
I mean, why, why give into this God when he's telling us to do these things or to not do these things or to give ourselves to this life and not to that life? Uh, I mean, maybe just the new restaurant can fulfill me at least for a little while. It's true. God tells you to follow him and to obey his commandments and things like that. In fact, he tells us something that's much harder. He says, take up your cross and die. But he also tells us that in doing those things, uh, his yoke is easy. and His burden is light. He never calls us to anything which we, he himself has not experienced and walked through and will carry us through. He tells us actually that the heart of the commandments is love. In fact, Jesus literally says that you can sum up all of the commandments, the law and the prophets in love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Love is at the center of it. I read to you this quote from uh, N.T. Wright last week. Let me read this again. I think this gets at part of this idea of loving other things and creating other gods. He says, left to myself, the God I want is a God who will give me what I want. He or more likely it will be a projection of my desires at the grosser level. This will lead me to one of the more obvious pagan gods or goddesses who offer their devotees money or sex or power. All idols started out life as a, the God somebody wanted at a more sophisticated level. The, the God I want will be a God who lives up to my intellectual expectations. I want this God because he or it will underwrite my intellectual arrogance he will boost my sense of being a refined, modern thinker. The net result is that I become God. And this God I've made becomes my puppet. Nobody falls down on their face before the God they wanted. Nobody trembles at the word of a homemade God. Nobody goes out with fire in their belly to heal the sick, to clothe the naked, to teach the ignorant, to feed the hungry. Because the God they wanted. They're more likely to stay at home with their feet up. Can such a God really be God? And John says, no. Everything else, everything else that you are tempted to place your ultimate love in will fail you. And it will not give you the fire in your belly to actually change the world and to love your neighbor as yourself. God is love. And the only answer to your deepest desires, your deepest longings, is the Lord. He's the only answer. Now, um, I said that there's a couple substitutes here. Uh, um, it's not, the, the idols aren't just substitutes for love, our desires, but they're actually our ultimate desires. But they're also substitutes for what we think life should be like, right? Real life, true life, okay? Um, so the second thing I want you to see is, is this idea that idols are a substitute for life. Um, because in some ways, these things are related, right? Our loves are what we think will actually bring us life. Um, where do we find life? Where, where's true life? Now, uh, of course, like I said, John does this weaving together of these themes. And so we've seen some of this stuff, this fall together. But there's this, um, this, this question really is at the heart of 1 John 2. What about, where do you find life? And what do you make of Jesus and all this kind of thing? Of course, uh, the common thought at the time of John and probably what he was writing to in sort of um, 
you know, Western Asia Minor, Western Modern Turkey, which, by the way, I actually looked this up this week. That is on the exact same latitude as we are. It's kind of wild. John was writing, and Turkey is the same latitude as Southern Pennsylvania, um, the city of Ephesus. Anyway, he's, he's writing to this people that had this idea that, that the good of life is what you think or what you know. It's, it's the spiritual side, the unseen, and the physical, and the things you touch and taste and smell, and all that is to be discarded. True life is not found in any physical way. And of course, um, this has some you know, implications. One of the impl- implications is in some ways it doesn't really matter what you do with your body, whether for good or for ill. You know, go to the brothel, go to the, uh, the prostitute place that's just outside of the temple. Use your body however you want to use it. Uh, but of course, it also had to do with how you engage with God. And this was a common idea right here at, at the time of John's teaching, which is the end of the first century. And that's that Jesus couldn't possibly have taken on real flesh, uh, died a real life, because God, if he's perfect, if he's actually one who's giving real life, doesn't do that. Because life, real life isn't found in the physical. God can't do that. God doesn't enter our life. Which is to say this maybe, God, uh, Jesus can be a good moral teacher, but he can't be God. He can maybe speak to our minds, but Jesus in the flesh, there's no way that that can happen. Again, listen to, to John. Let's start in verse uh, 6. We'll read to verse 9. This is the one who came by water and the blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Now, I said that I wouldn't get into any of the questions of this text too much today, but don't you just kind of go like, what? What? Water, blood, water and blood, water, blood, Spirit. Well, of course, the water is a reference to Jesus' baptism. Jesus comes and he's baptized by the Father, where he associates fully with the plight of humankind. And there, the Father's voice from heaven speaks as the Spirit descends as a dove and says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. But maybe at that point, you know, if you're this kind of person that says, you know, real life is not found in the physical, you might say, ah, but you know, the, the Spirit's there and the Father, and maybe this is just some God thing, but like he's just sort of a figment, figment of our imagination. There's this idea of docetism that was around at the time, and that, that's from the Greek word uh, dokeo, which means to seem. It's only seemingly so. Maybe it was some figment of our imagination that was going on. But then he says, and it's the water and the blood. And we're like, wait, 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 wait. Jesus, you have to confess that Jesus came and was baptized and died and shed real life blood? I, I don't know about this. And of course, he then goes on to say, and the spirit, because the spirit always testifies to this reality that Jesus comes in the flesh. What John is saying is that you want life. If you want real life, you have to buy into this idea that there is only one true God. And this true God takes on flesh, lives among us, dies for us, is resurrected for us, and gives us his very spirit the spirit of the living God. There is no life outside of this reality. Um, You see, uh, I think what you could maybe do is you could 
break down these God substitutes. You can say the love substitutes or maybe the uh, secular substitutes, the substitutes outside of the idea of, of God. Maybe the things that we love just in this world that we devote ourselves to. Um, and we think that they can exist and give us fulfillment outside of the reality of God. If I only have that new car or that new job or that new wife or some other kids, please, or whatever it is, right? And you think if I have this physical thing, then I'm going to be fulfilled. My desire will be met. And John says to that sort of secular idea, keep yourself from idols. Don't buy that. But then here he's kind of speaking to the religious folk. I've mentioned throughout this series that there's these false teachers that have arisen, right? And this is what they're teaching. You can have Jesus as a good moral teacher, but God doesn't come in the flesh. And we've explored how that kind of thinking, where where that takes us. But he's correcting this religious idol in a way, which is to say, it's not just focused on the things that we can grab, but on how we desire to make God into our image and to think, you know, if I have this kind of God, I'll have life. It'll be all right. John says, don't buy any of that. If you want real love, something that really actually does satisfy you, go to the Lord. If you want to find out what real life is, life that affirms this world and this creation, its beauty and its brokenness at the same time, God taking on the flesh and saying, yes, I desire to make this creation lovely and dying because he must actually deal with this reality of sin. If you want real life, honest life, true life, don't buy the substitutes. Keep yourself from idols. I think this is why he goes on in verses 11 and 12 and says this. And this is the testimony that, that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever doesn't have the Son of God does not have life. He's getting at what you are desiring. What you want. You want your love to be fulfilled. You want your life to have meaning and something true and honest about it. He says, You find that in Jesus alone. All right, I'm going to try to wrap up like John wraps up, which is sort of a mess, I think, and it might be a mess here. It just feels like he's just throwing stuff at us at the end. John is writing these things out of love. Uh, He doesn't just mention love a lot, but he calls us beloved. The last thing he says is little children. He desires these churches' well-being. He desires that we would have real life. And of course, all of us struggle with this idea of real life and what we're loving and what we're desiring and how we're living. In fact, I started reading a book this week and Melissa also started reading it. Wonderful book that just asks in some ways the question, what do we do with our desires? And, some, and actually what he says is, what do we do with our dis-ease in the world? You know, our lack of ease, the things that we desire that pull at us um, he says, this is where true spirituality is. What do we do with the dis-ease of life? Uh, our, lo- our loves and our, our longings in this life, it's really what makes life. What do we do with these desires that we have, these loves and this desire for life? 
And there's a strain that play, right? We see the beauty of this world, the natural beauty. Maybe you tasted a lot of the beauty this week on, the, on your plates. and You saw how lovely this world can be. Maybe you also felt the pull of this week. I mean, we're coming upon everybody's. I mean, I saw Christmas trees in Costco like two months ago. And they're just trying to sell you everything. And you feel this pull in your heart to these things. And you're like, this is good. But I actually think about them so much, right? There's just this pull and this tension that we live in all the time. And everybody's telling you, these things will satisfy you. This is where, this is where you will find meaning. And it is not true. It's not true. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Did you hear the tenses there? That you may know that you have eternal life. Like right now, right now you have everything you already need. I mean, what a word for us as, we, as we're just about to walk into December. And I want to say, you know, we're walking into this season of Advent, which is a season of ex- ex- expectant, uh, you know, waiting, but it's also a, a season of repentance. Actually, that's, that's really the historic origin is more, more it's a time of reflecting on this rea- reality that Christ will come as the true king and you have either given your allegiance to him or you have not. And you must repent and turn to the true king. And we remember that Jesus actually has to come and his name is Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so we're entering into a time of repentance, but all around us, what we're entering into is a time that the world is saying, if you just get this for Christmas, you're going to be happy. If your table can be laden with these kinds of things, you will have joy. And John is saying, you have eternal life right now if you have Jesus. You have everything you need. Give up on the idea of idols. They steal and they kill and they destroy. I mean, we all know this. The worst thing, the worst thing for your marriage is to go, I want that other person in it. It kills. The, one of the worst things for your heart is, is not gratitude. That's one of the greatest things is ingratitude. What else can I have? I do not have enough. And John says right here, kill the idols. You already have eternal life. If you have Jesus, you have everything you need. Now, I don't want to skip over so much of this passage. So I'm going to say this. Um, John then gets into the idea of prayer. And uh, I think this is really important here. What John is doing is he's saying, you can't do this on your own, right? Um, It does no good for me just to say, hey, give up on your idols, people. What he says is ask the Lord. Ask God. Ask God to change your heart and to give you a new love, to find your life in him. And he will hear you. He will. He will answer prayer. The Lord longs to shape your heart and to mold your life after him. And so go to him. And what he also does here, John actually does this. He does this very clearly. 
He says, if anyone sees a brother committing a sin, not leading to death. If you see brothers or sisters wandering off towards other idols, pray for them too. And God will hear you and he will answer you. So give your life, the life of prayer and the life of the community of faith that encourages one another and says, don't buy that. Don't buy that. Brothers and sisters, uh, this is a strange way to end a book. But it is so fitting. Because the temptation of each one of our hearts is to find our desires to think that they are met in the things of this world. To fashion God into our own image, into our own likeness. John says, don't buy it. Don't buy it. Keep yourself from idols. Maybe do this. This is not in my manuscript at all. Think about this. Why don't you write that out? Write that out. We're we're entering December. Write out, keep yourself from idols. Put it on your car and put it on your mirror in the morning. Because we're all going to be so tempted to think that we're going to have some kind of life this season outside of Jesus. It's not true. Don't buy it. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for for 1 John. This this book that weaves themes in and out, that is not as linear as we often like, but God, that is teaching us this important truth that we are so easily swayed uh, by the thinking of our neighbors about what God could and could not be like or what we look at incessantly on our phones or on our TVs or that our neighbors have or don't have or the idea that if we can simply be brought somewhere else or do something else or have something else, we will have life. God, I pray that this morning and in this season, we would know that there is life and love in you alone. And that because we are in you, we already have all that we need for faith and life. God, I pray that we would not give ourselves to those things where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. God, I pray that that we would know that we cannot serve God and money. God, I pray that in this time we would devote ourselves to your service. And that when we do so, that we would find true love and true life. Please do this in us, God. We need you. Amen. Thank you for listening to Second City Sermons Podcast. We hope this sermon has encouraged you to worship God and to celebrate the gospel of Jesus. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and joining us in person each Sunday at 10 a.m. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening. God bless.
Hello, you're listening to Second City Sermons, a ministry of Second City Church in Midtown Harrisburg. It's our hope that these sermons will draw you more into the life of following God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please consider coming and joining with us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the heart of Midtown Harrisburg. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope you enjoy this sermon. God bless. Good 